you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, church. I'll try and get this stand to cooperate. Ooh, I think that'll work. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you denied yourself to grow your long-term health or delight? I say this because there's no easy way of confessing this, but I'm a recovering addict. Before you get nervous or send any of the Geelong staff any anxious emails or texts, I will clarify my addiction. It is of the caffeine kind. As you slowly take a sigh of relief, let me provide some context. At the start of the year, I started to struggle with my sleep. I had to do some reflecting. I looked on my diet and I realised I was having too much coffee. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with the hot drink. I love my coffee and still find it enjoyable, but I had to deny myself of that extra caffeine. To get a better picture of this addiction, I used to drink three to four coffees a day, sometimes five. I loved it in the moment when I was drinking it. And I thought this was essential for being a pastor. And, you know, it it served to enhance my pastoral ministry. But I noticed that it impacted my rest. So I had a plan. I started to scale back from my four coffees, four-ish coffees, but back to two, and sitting now much more rested with one cup of coffee a day. I know this is controversial, but I've even been tapping into decaf. I know, I'm here to stir the pot. But surprisingly, watching my caffeine intake, not only did my sleep improve, but I actually enjoy my morning coffee even more. So let me come back to our first question. When was the last time you denied yourself something for your long-term health or enjoyment? I ask you this because I want to know what comes to mind when I ask you about growing a healthy, meaningful delight in the Lord or guarding that joy in God. Or to put it another way, what does it look like to practice self-control in God so that our delight is most full and we grow our dependence in Jesus? Because as we continue our series and explore, I hope today that we'll be able to explore more ways, powered by grace, to encourage us in delight. We'll first look at the biblical basis of practicing delight, and then secondly, we'll look at 
the practice of denial through the Bible. But let's start with delight, because as Christians, we need to know what it actually is. What it actually is. And importantly, slowly unpack it and see what it looks like and why we actually do it. Because as a part of a healthy trellis that we're forming, you'll see that it actually creates some space to grow our delight. So let's start with a definition of delight, practices of delight. Practices of delight are grace-powered acts that remind us of our joy in the Lord and are done with a heart postured toward God through Christ. This isn't going to be an exhaustive list that I'm going to drop here, but this can include time and delight, singing, praising, eating together, relationships, delighting in providence. But don't take my word for it. Let's see how practicing delight unfolds through Scripture, beginning at the Old Testament. Because we see so many ways that God's people delight in God. But if we're actually going to talk about delight, we have to start right at creation. Because in six days, as you might recall, at every single major turn, God says it was good. That's right. Not just perfect, but there's a godly delight at every turn. But look at the ways when what, what God says when he creates humans and engages in relationship with them. Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Can you sense God taking a moment to just delight in his creation? It's astounding. And sometimes we just look at the word good as right. Adequate, perfect. And we shave the full sense of the word. We practice delight because God practices delight. And this is the same awe and delight that we see of the Psalms, don't we? The writings are constant in this as a regular practice, enjoying God. Look at Psalm 96, for example. Verse 11. Let the earth rejoice and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Can you see him enjoying God and joining in with creation? See, I could imagine David doing this, or the psalmist taking a group of disciples into nature, looking at the night sky, maybe telling them to switch off their phones. I mean... I know that's a dream that's in an ideal world, but you can picture it, couldn't you? Turning off the phones for two minutes, practicing peaceful awe in nature at a place like the Yuyangs or by a stream or a waterfall. And then you can hear David just say, just pause for a moment. And say a prayer of praise in your heart as you look at God's creation. 
We could go on from reference to reference in the Psalms on praise, music and singing to God. And let's not even forget about the longest chapter in the whole of Scripture in delighting in God's Word. In Psalm 119. But you may ask, did God's people delight in in different ways? Like around food and hospitality? Thank goodness, yes. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 21. Because under King Hezekiah, when God's people repent and he reforms and they celebrate Passover for the first time, they're delighting in God so much, they decide to celebrate for another seven days. Knowing Greeks, I know they celebrate hard when they get together around food. They have nothing on Hezekiah. And there were other unusual ways of delight as well. Significant, though, in the Old Testament, even of dancing. Exodus 15, you remember Miriam with the tambourines after being delivered from Egypt? Or David celebrating before the Lord when the ark returns to the people? I'm not just saying that because I like dancing. And before you start pulling the nutbush out on Sunday services or the macarena at GC, just remember there's a time and a place for it. But it does make sense, doesn't it? It does make you think. Because sometimes in Bible-believing churches like us, we can narrow delighting in God into just singing and being in the Word. Thankfully, we see this practice not just in church history, but it's something that we see through the entire Bible. But what does it look like? And importantly, what is it not? Because the New Testament is not restrictive. It's not narrow. But it helps us to have a heart of practicing delight, not only in solitude, but importantly, in community. But how do we delight? Why not look at Jesus in the way that he delights? Matthew 26 tells us that Jesus, in installing communion as a practice, sings after it. 27, verse 27, drink, for this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out. Can you see Jesus' delight? in God, even in the face of suffering? We don't know exactly what he sung, but tradition, Jewish tradition says it's the Hallels, the songs of hallelujah and joy. This same Jesus went to the cross so that we could have delight in God. And to remind us that we can posture our hearts toward him in all circumstances. But what else do we see in the New Testament? Do you recall Acts chapter 2? Verse 42 in that chapter, we see eating 
corporate awe, praise, worship, community in a multitude of ways. Not just singing or being in the Word. And furthermore, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift comes from God, from our Father. Whether it's a visible gift or an invisible that points us to the ultimate truth and gospel and giver of life. But we need to ask, don't we? What is it not? Practices of delight do not mean that we abandon the practicalities of life. If we're in a place of supporting or serving or providing for our family or our basic needs of living, we don't give that up, do we? And spend all of our times just singing and praising and being in nature. Because, for instance, we see that acutely when Paul is talking about this practical balance of delight and care and provision when it comes to marriage in Ephesians 5, right? Verse 28 of that chapter, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Delighting God through faith and relationship must be saturated in commitment and practical provision mixed all together with that loving delight, even if it means defending life at the cost of your own. And after all, all of us as Christians are called to care for others, provide for one another, and to look out for the downcast. But what does it mean for us? Because as we've seen, delight comes out of a place of grace and passionate love in God, in who God is, especially through Jesus and his saving work. But this might look different for each of us, right? For instance, some of us may find it easier to take those moments and pause to be silent. And then others, we might break out in song. And then there's others of us who can really relate in the communal activities of food and hospitality. But we shouldn't look at Scripture to find precise ways to pr practice delight, especially not out of illegalism. But this should actually spark creativity and grace in itself. I also say this because in preparing for our time together, I realize how much this not only drives our practices of delight, but also our practices of denial that we'll look at later, such as fasting and abstinence and service. So, we've looked at practices of delight. Let's look at denial. So, Denial, what is it? Let's look at a definition. Practices of denial are continual or temporary repeated practices of denying oneself with a motivation 
of grace, desiring to better enjoy, build or guard one's delight in Christ. Again, this is not a definitive list, but practices may include denying sin, fasting, giving, solitude, abstinence, and service. Where do we begin with the understanding of a denial or a practice of abstinence? I know it's controversial, but this did not begin in Matthew chapter 16, an act of denying oneself, as we heard from the Bible reading. But you remember that moment right in the garden again, the first denial of not touching the tree of good and evil. It was for their good, Adam and Eve's good, to protect their joy in God. This is even before the existence of sin. And there are many means of denial that we can look at, but let's look at something that we're familiar with. Because we first see it in the Old Testament, right? Denying oneself of food and in some cases water. We see this of Moses when he's meeting up with God, receiving the covenant commands. And that's in Exodus 34. Verse 28 says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets of the words of the covenant. It may not be in writing of that it's always 40 days, but this kind of language is throughout the Old Testament scripture. You see it, for instance, in Esther, don't we? Chapter 4, verse 16, when there's a calling of intercessory prayer in the face of genocide. Or the Old Testament kings in 2 Chronicles 20, when King Jehoshaphat surrounded calls for a fast. Can you see how fasting reminded them to build and guard their trust and joy in God? Why the acts of denial take place? Return back to Exodus. God's people, rather than falling into apathy or greed, they give out of their hearts of joy and deny themselves any sense of entitlement. In Exodus 35, we get a description of their time, their service, finances, and material possession for the building up of the tabernacle. We see more acts of denial as well in that same vein, like in Nehemiah chapter 4, 16, where they're literally serving to defend and build the wall with their lives. So we've seen that these practices of denial are not limited to people going to solitude, but it's in seeking communion with God. And more often, together in community, to seek dependence and deeper delight in him. That's important to ask, right? What does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. This 
is where the New Testament helps us to explore this. Because, again, we need to look at Christ. Remember Matthew 4? Jesus fasting, tested in the wilderness. Did you see how much he depended on Scripture in this time? In answering Satan, he quotes the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Can you see how this Denial builds joy and dependence in God. This is something as Christians, we can see that it can actually help guard our joy so that idols don't emerge and that our trust becomes more purified in the Lord. And it's important to see that as we do these practices of denial, we're actually growing in grace and not trying to earn it. But reminding, even when we finish those practices, that we get that appreciation of how much we know we need God. Because we see it in Jesus. And he continues on in Matthew from chapter 6 onwards, talking about prayer and delight and fasting in humility. And as we heard from our Bible reading, Jesus calls for a life of denial of oneself, to be right and at peace and filled with joy for the Lord. And yes, there are practices of withdrawal as denial. As we see in Luke 15, Sorry, Luke 5, 16, Jesus going out to pray on his own. But we have to be careful. Uh, this is not a verse to run away from your children or anyone you don't like. We see it in his words, don't we? We see it in Jesus' life. But what may it look like in community? Again, we go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Do you see it? The denial through sharing generously in community, attending to needs. And we see further that that's used in corporate worship as well. Acts 13, 2, they're worshipping together and then they commission Paul and Barnabas. And it's so important to see that these practices of denial aren't separate from delight and gratitude and thanksgiving in God. They enhance our love for Jesus. They help us to actually build better love for one another and to seek God's will more wholeheartedly. But we have to again, ask an important question. What is it not? What is it not when it regards to practices of denial? Because for many of us, we have this picture of extreme practices of self-flagellation, starvation, to demonstrate 
humility and holiness made famous centuries ago. And this is why it's important. It's in, we don't do it out of a punishment of sin and guilt. And this is why we need the Bible to have a lens of wisdom and grace. Because as we've seen in church history, we can fall into legalism in this. Or works trying to earn our righteousness. Rather, these have always been motivated throughout the entire Bible from a basis of God's grace. And yes, we've been called to deny our lives saturated in the world. But we're called into a greater life, aren't we? As Galatians 5, 23 says, after listing a full list of what Paul calls Christians to deny in terms of sin, he points to a spirit-filled, grace-motivated life and what that looks like. You know it well, most of you, I hope. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. If we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. What does it mean for us? Because as we've seen, there are many practices we could actually cover. And I hope when you join or continue on in your GC this week, you'll be able to explore and deepen in these practices. But we'll just look at a few this morning, including fasting, abstinence, and service. Let's look at the first one, shall we? As some of you may know, fasting is without food or water for the purpose of deepening oneself in meditation, prayer, the Word, to grow us in dependence of God. You may be familiar with this, but as a young person, I was just like, there's no benefit to this at all. This is just starvation, forced starvation. But as I started to live for Jesus, I had mentors who loved the Bible, did this with joy and delight and humility. And there are many ways we can do this, but biblically speaking, and what we see of church history, it's important to clarify that fasting is temporarily not having food and drink, rather than calling other self-controlling acts fasting. Because in the Western world, we tend to call abstaining activities fasting. which is both confusing for Christians, but it also diminishes the spiritual impact when we try to practice biblical fasting. And to be clear, abstaining from entertainment, Facebook, social media, comforts for a time are so helpful in our spiritual walks. But it's important to clarify proper fasting as a Christian. So, what else does it look like? 
there are many kinds of experiences when it comes to fasting, but it does bring to mind for me personally in the way that God has taught me over the years. There have been times when I've fasted during a church need. Like some of you might recall the Blessed 2020 campaign or raising funds for the Whittington a Next Gen need. It was amazing, wasn't it? To be shaped in that time, but also grow independence while praying for that need as a community. And there's been other times too, because in mentioning this, I, I, I want to be careful. There are a multitude of times during COVID that God prompted me to fast. Especially when hearing of countless stories of suffering, conflict, pride, self-righteousness and aggression. But why else did I fast in this time? I found myself judging people and having moments of pride in those years. And I'll be honest, some of those relationships aren't fully there yet and are still healing in this time. God convicted me of that in a place of repentance, but also returning back to what motivates me to love people. Can you relate? Or are there relationships just at the moment that you find difficult to engage? Or you feel helpless or you need a, a bit of wisdom from God to approach? This may be a time where you consider fasting. That's what the Bible encourages us to do. Or on the other hand, you might have a big financial or parenting, or practical decision to discern in the next few months. But I want to be clear, like any practice of denial, fasting is not a silver bullet. It doesn't guarantee you instant success, sanctification, and I wish I had another, another S, but answers for prayer. But Scripture does highlight this to create a space for us to build our trust and joy in God so that it actually impacts many areas of our lives. And there's been other moments for me where it's been more intentional rather than just challenges or hardships. During my last few years of my degree, I found God just prompt me some of my weekends to fast and pray, using it time for scripture rather than sitting in on a meal over a number of days. And this in recent times too. For example, last year, in times of fasting, I've not only just realized how much spiritual strength it provides, it's the clarity and joy in my walk. And more than that, it's actually helped me better love people 
to grow readiness for forgiveness, to even do delight in caring evangelism. And it's immediate, isn't it? For any of us who have done fasting is aware, the first meal, first day, it's the jitters, it's the hungry mood swings. It needs a short temper, the frustration, the impatience with people when I start fasting. But as the day rolls on, I see God start working and moving through that. I start to notice the enjoyment of the word. Sweet times in prayer. Realizing how precious, powerful, and present Jesus actually is in my life. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced those opportunities with colleagues as you... You've been fasting, that suddenly appear to share your testimony. Is that something that you can consider in a, occasionally or a semi-regular rhythm of grace in your walk? And other things other than fasting, means of denial, like we've mentioned can be through abstinence. For instance, Paul gives us great details in carefully guiding the practice of abstaining from sex for a time, as he mentions in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. It says this, verse 5, Perhaps by agreement for a limited time, you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you. So we've covered fasting and abstaining. Let's look at the way that denial looks through service. Because for us as humans and society, we tend to overgrow this attitude of being served rather than serving others. But as we've seen through Scripture, this practice of Service reminds us of our delight in God. We can see this in Christ's example. But what does that look like? As King Jesus served and even washed the feet of his disciples, so Paul calls the church in Galatia to live holy and to serve one another in delight and not in selfishness. Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. This is bringing to mind for some reason of recent times. God has been stirring this mini-serving revival around my close circles. It sounds stupid, but... Somehow I forgot love should be not separate from our delight in others and God. I'm literally hearing of married couples at the moment, serving breakfast and coffee in bed 
for the first time in decades. It's crazy. All I've heard of people in recent times, a few months ago, of people that have come from major positions, cleaning toilets by the train station. Talk about self-denial out of delight in, a, in Jesus and humble joy for one another. But let me ask you, as we close and the music team come up, in small and big ways, how can this be a part of your personal life? May there be ways that you deny yourself to serve your wife, your husband, your community, and your friends out of a heart of delight. Because I know in doing this practice, it's changed my life. I once despised dishwashing, garbage collecting, and cleaning things around the church. I thought it was for the upfront people. But serving in a small way, it just reminded me of the delight. Even in denial, in service, I could see those small little moments of glorifying God. Is that something that you might consider? Asking God how you can serve others in your close circle. Or maybe you spend time praying or contacting our hospitality or services area at our church. Because, for example, if I, I can be honest, the 11 a.m. morning tea roster has been struggling to be covered recently. It's a small task, isn't it? But it actually impacts the way we do community and delight in God. In other places in our church, we need more service managers to help out with our services. Or cooking volunteers for our 6pm services. Even if that's not you stepping in, can you pray on this? Could you pray that our church would grow more in that servant-heartedness like Jesus? Because stepping back, regarding acts of denial, it's a reminder of our joy in God that powers this denial. Because after all, Jesus, the prophesied suffering Isaiah 53 servant, denied himself so that we may live. But live in a way that denies ourselves so that he is glorified. Will you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the creator of all things. And the Jesus of our souls practice delight. I pray, Father, that you would grow us in delight. And even in practices of denial, Lord, that 
we would know that it is grace-empowered so that we may be able to grow in the likeness of your Son, but also grow deeper in loving one another and seeking your will. We pray this in the weeks and months to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.